Well, greetings, brethren, and welcome back. It's been uh, quite a while. I, I, I've missed you. I hope you've missed these studies. And I just want to take a moment and change my network. I just saw I'm on a, the lower grade network. I just want to switch. Give me one moment. Hopefully, I'm coming through loudly as well. Perhaps you can just go ahead and type in the chat to confirm that I'm going coming through loudly and clear. Thank you, Sister Linda. Welcome back. And Sister Velma, uh, just go ahead and let me know that uh, the audio is clear. We'll open with a word of prayer, and then I just have a couple of comments before we get into our study for this evening. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord. We're ever so grateful, even more so now, how much the world has changed. Uh, since the last time we did one of these studies and changed in ways, Father, that are not good uh, in one sense, in the sense that there is going to be much suffering uh, visited upon the earth and the peoples of the earth and particularly the peoples of Israel. But good in the sense that, Father, all of this is exactly as Jesus Christ taught us, exactly as the prophets foretold. And therefore, we can have great confidence, Father, in your word and in the rest of the story. So we thank you for this, Father, and we thank you for the opportunity that we have to come together and go through your word line by line. Thank you, Lord. We ask your blessing, as always, on our study and on our understanding, and that you would deepen our faith. We pray as well, Lord, that you'll be with uh, our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan and those who are calling upon your name and uh, we just know, Father, they face horrific uh, circumstances, and not only there, but in Iran and in Nigeria and all over the Middle East and North Africa. Those who want to honor Christ are being persecuted and hunted down, and that's being spread all over the world. We pray for your mercy upon them, Lord God Almighty, and most of all, that they will remain convicted in, in their commitment to honor Christ. Thank you, Lord. We praise you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, yes, brethren, the world has changed tremendously. Um, you know, we just took a little bit of a break here, and I hope you'll uh, understand that. Sometimes we do need to just take a break, have a bit of a rest, especially here in Canada. Um, you know, we have very few months where the weather is decent and just had a few things going on personally that I needed to take care of. But I certainly missed doing these studies, and I'm quite astounded. Uh, by how much the world has changed uh, since um, we have been doing these studies, since the last study. And as I said in the prayer, in ways that are detrimental uh, to God's people. But yet, uh, these are ways that have been foretold by God, so we're, we're on track in the storyline. The elite hate us. Well, let's be clear about that. And then hopefully uh, those of us who perhaps thought that, you know, we could... Uh, be supporting the elite because they support us. Hopefully that's becoming clearer to us now that that's not the case. In any case, we do, uh, coming through here, great, wonderful sister Carlotta, that I'm coming through clear, clearly, uh, that's great. So we're going to cover tonight um, Isaiah chapter 28 and 29. And uh, even though we've taken a break, in a way we're like right on time because these events that have taken place over the last couple of weeks, we'll see that they will fit right into what we want to cover here in Isaiah chapter 28 and chapter 29. So let me go ahead and share my screen. Hopefully you can see that. And uh, just remember where we were the last time we met. So we've gone through all of the judgments on the surrounding nations. 
uh, and then we saw the day of the Lord and, and God coming to save Judah and Israel. And in chapter 27, where we were the last time we met, he said in verse 6, he shall cause them that come of Jacob to take root. Israel shall blossom and bud and fill the face of the world with fruit. So this is very important that we remember this as we're coming into chapter 28 and chapter 29, that the will of God is not to destroy Jacob. It's not to destroy Israel and Judah. In fact, it is to establish them. But he has to go about it in a particular way in order to ensure that Israel will bear eternal fruit and eternal glory for God, that all of the hypocrisy, all of the wickedness and debauchery has to be stamped out. And so there's a, a process that he is taking Israel through. And we shouldn't be deceived that as he's taking Israel and Judah through this process to think that he has forsaken them. In verse 13 of chapter 27, he says, and it shall come to pass in that day, pointing to the last time, that the great trumpet shall be blown and they shall come which were ready to perish so christ talked about this that when he comes the trumpet will sound and the angels will go to the four corners of the earth and will gather his elect so the trumpet shall be blown and they shall come which were ready to perish in the land of assyria and the outcasts in the land of egypt so this is a parallel scripture in fact to matthew 24 where some people read matthew 24 where um, Christ says that unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved alive. And they quickly jump to the conclusion that Christ is talking about the whole earth and there's some sort of nuclear cataclysm that if Christ didn't step in at just the right time, this nuclear catastrophe would wipe out all flesh from off the face of the earth. That in fact is not what the passage is saying. If we read that passage in Matthew 24 in context, in fact, if we read it in the context of Matthew 23, we understand that Christ has targeted Jerusalem and he has to bring, his plan is to bring Jerusalem to desolation. And if we read then from Matthew 23 into Matthew 24, we understand that the target and the abomination which makes desolate, the target is Jerusalem and the flesh in Judah. And that this, this, um, uh, passionate, pathological, murderous hatred of the devil is focused on the people of Judah. And, and the devil means business. He is to wipe out completely the woman that gave birth to the man-child, and that is Judah. So his, he's stirring up this hatred, this animosity, this pathological, murderous hatred to remove Judah from the face of the earth. And that's what's happening. But Christ is going to return just at the moment when it looks like, okay, he's going to be victorious. There'll be nothing left of Judah, nothing left of Israel either. That's when God comes in. And had he not come in, the covenant people would be wiped out. That's what Matthew 24 is saying. So these teachers that are, you know, trying to rile people up, this is the end of the world and nuclear catastrophe, and we've got to read it in context. Now, so they were ready to perish. They were going to disappear from the planet, from, from the, planet, from the face of the earth, which is the will of the Assyrian and the Egypt, the king of the north and the king of the south, um, and shall worship. So instead of perishing, this remnant shall be saved. Think Zechariah 12. And they come, they will come and worship in the holy mount at Jerusalem. Think Zechariah 14. And now the Gentiles will actually come and, and worship with Judah 
and Israel in Jerusalem. With that as context then, so let's remember that, that's the will of God, that's the, the outcome that God is driving toward. With that, let's continue the story, the narrative in, Matthew, in Isaiah 28, beginning in verse 1. Woe to the crown of pride, to the drunkards of Ephraim, whose glorious beauty is a fading flower, which are on the head of the fat valleys of them that are overcome with wine. So I spoke last Sabbath, sermon entitled, Remember Your Scarf, and quoted actually Hosea and his curse and prophetic doom uh, pronounced on Ephraim. But here we are now in Isaiah, and we see the same thing. And I quoted Hosea because of the recent developments in America, particularly with this Biden administration and how they have betrayed, how they have betrayed American citizens, American allies, how they've really betrayed the whole Western world. And, and, and they're taking pride in this. They, this is a wonderful success as we uh, basically uh, have have uh, collaboration with the Taliban and 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 the Taliban will will provide security for us this this is complete bizarre insanity but they're strutting and they're very proud and and here <laughs> woe to the crown of pride to the drunkards of Ephraim so so these are leaders in Ephraim that are drunk they're and I don't know if you've ever been around an alcoholic but my uncle over in the UK before he died, uh, he was a terrible drunkard. He had a terrible marriage. The marriage just drove him into depression and into alcoholism. And for about 20 years, he was a staggering drunk. I'd go and visit my grandmother. And he was very close with my grandmother. Uh, but And he was that was good in the sense that he was loyal to her and looked after her. But he would be in a stupor. And I'd, I'd visit my grandmother and he would come over and uh, he was out of his mind. And then one day he just decided he's, he, uh, he actually had a daughter uh, late in life. And he just decided he would stop. And he just stopped. And then he had 10 good years where he could just be a normal human being. But the 20 years that he was a drunkard, it was, I don't know if you've ever seen this, uh, but he was out of his mind. He was beside himself, literally. So I shouldn't say literally, but figuratively, he's beside himself. So this is the state of leadership in the Western world before Christ returns. So certainly this has historical significance, but as we read through the text, it, it's also speaking of the time just before Christ returns. And we're seeing it now. These people are insane. They, they speak in ways, they're, they're speaking words, they're speaking in a language, they're speaking English, there are sentences, but what they're saying makes no sense. They think it makes sense, but it makes no sense. And it's horrible. And we are going to experience, fasten your seatbelts. We are going to experience now pain in every dimension. Not the least of which is the fact that now these hardened criminals and terrorists will be coming into the Western world as refugees. And yes, we should help. And I hope that all of us have done something to help the situation in Afghanistan and not just talk about it, but actually pray and maybe make donations to help that situation. So we should be helping those, those unfortunate souls. But in this sort of uh, really negligent 
way of just not caring about the Americans or the the, 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 the citizens of these different countries, but particularly I'm focusing on America right now, leaving them stranded, while at the same time bringing over carte blanche and, you know, loads of refugees and infiltrating in those loads will be hardened terrorists. So we will now begin to see what we haven't seen for 20 years, the likes of 9-11s. So let's get ready for that. And that's just, that's just for starters. There are many, many more ways that this administration is opening up uh, the acceleration and the destruction of not just America, but the Western world. The glorious beauty is a fading flower. It's just it's right between, right before our eyes. It's like time lapse, but it's sped up. We're watching this, which are on the head of the fat valleys of them that are overcome with wine. So this is just the, the insanity has completely taken them over. All of this postmodernism theory and, and they're trying to completely blur any dividing lines where men are now women, women are men, children are adults, adults are children. Everything is just bizarrely confused because they're overcome with this insanity. Behold, the Lord has a mighty and strong one. Mm -hmm. Think this insanity will last forever? Well, behold, the prophet says, the Lord has a mighty and strong one which as a tempest of hail and, is, and a destroying storm, as a flood of mighty waters overflowing, and we're watching now the destruction of Hurricane Ida. We have to pray for our brethren who are in, in that uh, whole area, uh, New Orleans, that this is terrible how powerful and destructive water can be. Well, this is all now a metaphor for this Assyrian power that God is going to use to destroy Ephraim. And so this is historical. This is what happened historically. But as, as again, as we look at the language here, we see that it's also pointing to the time before Christ returns. And we are now seeing the Middle East heating up, heating up with, with uh, tentacles that are going to reach all around the world. And, and how the Taliban in, in Afghanistan have emboldened the jihadis all over the world. So we can now expect Iran and Turkey and all of these Sunni tribes, all of them, to begin flexing their model, muscles, uh, Al-Qaeda and ISIS, to begin to show, yeah, we are the true Mohammedans. They compete with each other in terror. So the Lord has a mighty and strong one, which has a tempest of hail and a destroying storm, as a, as a flood of mighty waters overflowing, shall cast down to the earth with the hand. The crown of pride, the drunkards of Ephraim, shall be trodden underfoot and so this happened historically but as we know these um, prophecies have patterns and they repeat and christ said he's come not to destroy the torah and the prophets but to fill to the full so this is going to happen now it's going to be the time of jacob's trouble and it's going to happen at a level of intensity that is unprecedented the world has never seen what the tribes of ephraim and when we see ephraim here we don't mean the single tribe of tribe of ephraim Ephraim in prophecy here is code for the northern tribes. So this happened to all of the northern tribes. Judah is code for the southern tribes. And the prophecies that befell Judah fell on all of the southern tribes. So Ephraim means the north. And so Manasseh and all of the tribes, what we call the ten lost tribes, they're all included in, in the term Ephraim. The drunkards of Ephraim shall be trodden underfoot. 
under feet. So they think that they're powerful and they have all this glory. And, and right before our eyes in our time, we're seeing what happened anciently, where these leaders had their glory taken away from them and they were destroyed and trodden underfoot. And the glorious beauty, which is on the head of the fat valley, shall be a fading flower. How do you, as the most powerful, as a superpower, the most powerful nation in the world, actually equip your enemies? You equip your enemies to destroy you. And, and then you, you hope that they will provide security for you. This, this is absolute insanity. His beauty, which is on the head of the fat valley, shall be a fading flower. And as the hasty fruit before the summer, which when he that looks upon it sees, while it is yet in his hand, he eats it up. So this is kind of awkward language here, but it's like um, the, the first fruits, the fruit that buds early in the summer. When this invader comes and sees the beauty of that fruit, he'll take it as soon as he sees it. And that's the future of the nations of Ephraim. In that day, shall the Lord of hosts, so this again, now you see this is the, the language that shows us that yes, this all happened anciently, but it points to the future. Because in that day, in the timing of all of this, shall the Lord of hosts be for a crown of glory and for a diadem of beauty unto the residue of his people. So there will be a remnant. There's always a remnant. There's a remnant now that is faithful or trying its best to be faithful. And then as all of this destruction happens, there's going to be repentance particularly in Judah, but also in Israel. And these, these people are going to repent and, and there'll be a lot of death. I, I wish it were not so. There's gonna be a lot of destruction, a lot of death. But as much as Satan wants to completely destroy the covenant people, God is going to ensure that there is a remnant. And this remnant that survives all of this will have the Lord as their crown of glory and as their diadem of beauty. And for a spirit of judgment to him that sits in judgment. And for strength to them that turn the battle to the gate. So this is not for our social justice warriors, unfortunately. So for those among us who are pursuing a different kind of bizarre, debauched justice, this, is, this excludes them, unfortunately. This is for those who sit in Torah judgment. For those who are ready for the spiritual battle of God, that now he's coming to, to support his own Torah judgment with his spirit of judgment. This is true justice, the justice of God. But even this remnant now, listen to this, and this is something that's very sober. But they also have erred through wine and through strong drink are out of the way. So as much as this insanity is in the leadership and it's in the whole nation and the whole nation is drunk. Even the priest and the prophet have erred through strong drink. So the rem, even the remnant, you know, our righteousness is as filthy rags. So, and this is what we see that as society collapses, as society degrades, God's people degrade with it. And then we don't feel so bad. You know, we walk into the service half naked, but we don't feel so bad because the people on the street are fully naked. We're just half naked. But if we were to compare our behavior to, to the saints of 
just a few decades ago, if they could be resurrected and look at and come into our congregations, they would be stunned. How is it that we've fallen like this? But we don't notice it's the, the, the frog that boils slowly syndrome. You know, the way we, the things that we do, the things that we say, we have to always hold Christ as the standard. And as we do that and fight to hold that standard, yeah, we'll be accused of being, oh, you're a Pharisee and you're self-righteous. And, you know, we're just trying our best, hopefully, to live up to the standard of Christ and not compare ourselves to the world. Because as, you know, what is it? Uh, a, a low tide sinks all boats. And, and we live in this corrupt society. And so it's easy for us to just begin to compare ourselves. And you know, we could just be a, a, a dim flashlight the batteries are going out, but it's still light in the darkness. But in the brightness of the sun, it's nothing. And so we do, I think this verse 7 is very troubling. That even the remnant have erred through wine. This, this um, postmodernism that is spreading all over society, Western society in particular, creeps into the church, for example. And through strong drink are out of the way. For the way is, Christ is the way. And Christianity is the way. And yet, this takes us out of the way. Even the priest and the prophet. So just because we are, let's say, in ministerial roles, this does not exclude us or preclude us from getting swept up in what's going on around us. The priest and the prophet have erred through strong, it's very strong drink. It's, it's like nonstop deception. Have you noticed that? Everybody's lying. The, the political leaders are lying. The medical leaders are lying. The religious leaders are lying. The media is lying. It's like nonstop lying. Everybody's lying to us. And we're just in this world of deception. And that's the strong drink. Because it's all of these lies are rooted in a philosophy and an ideology that, that everybody's just buying into. But we as God's people have to resist this. They are swallowed up of wine. They are out of the way through strong drink. Even the priest and the prophet, they err in vision. They stumble in judgment. For all tables are full of vomit and filthiness so that there is no place clean. This is just, you know, you try to picture, let's say, a feast day. It kind of brings me to mind of 1 Corinthians 11 with the agape meal just before the Passover when the Corinthians are following the instructions from the Apostle Paul, and he comes to see how, or, to, or here's how they're getting on, and they're not getting on at all. And they're drunk, and the others are hungry, and this one's so full of wine, he's drunk, maybe he's throwing up, and this should be a, an orderly and sacred feast meal, but instead is just debauchery. And here he says, these people are so full of wine, they're throwing up on each other, they're throwing up everywhere, and so you walk into what you're hoping would be a wonderful celebration, a, fe a festival, and instead there's vomit everywhere. You, you're trying to think, like, where can I sit? And there's just no place clean. And these are the people of God. This is the image that we have to have in our mind. This is the image that God sees when he looks at the covenant people. And so within our congregations, we have to ask ourselves, is this us? Is this what it's come to? Or can we present a table to the Lord that is honor, is reflects, reflects his honor and his glory? Something for us to think about, especially as the feast days are just around the corner. And then he says this, 
whom shall he teach knowledge? And whom shall he make to understand doctrine? So in this setting of no place clean, everyone is full of staggering with strong drink. The leaders forget them. But even the remnant is, is, is seduced by this strong wine. Whom shall he teach knowledge? And whom shall he make to understand doctrine? And then the answer, them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breasts. So there's a sense here of immaturity, and you kind of even get the sense of uh, the apostle when he met with the Hebrews. And he says, you should be teachers by now. But I, I, I want to give you strong meat, but I can't. I have to dial this back and give you milk because you're, you're, you're so immature. Well, here there's an immature, a spiritual immaturity. Remember, these are leaders. They're great, powerful people. But spiritually, they're immature. And in order to understand doctrine, there's got to be some effort to, to, to grow up. For precept must be upon precept. Precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, and there a little. And that's the name of this uh, academy that we have, the line upon line. In fact, we have the URL, lineuponlinebibleacademy.com. Lineuponlinebibleacademy.com. And this body of knowledge that we've been working through together as we go through all the different books, we're actually taking all of that and putting it in this online academy and, and breaking it down into 15-minute video segments with quizzes. So far, we've got the book of Luke and the book of Acts. Uh, in the academy, but we plan to take all of these Bible books that we've studied together and break them down. We have a team that's working on this, breaking them down into 15-minute digestible segments uh, with quizzes to test your learning uh, so that we can show what the Bible teaches precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little and there a little. So there is a way that even though we might be immature, there is a way for us to mature spiritually. And it's to understand that it is possible for, for God to teach us doctrine if we'll humble ourselves and work through how he has presented and prepared these spiritual meals. But he says this, because of the way the scripture is designed, they're not gonna understand it. Instead, he says this, for with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to this people. And remember, this is Ephraim. So we're speaking of Ephraim here. And the stammering lips and another tongue, this is Torah. Deuteronomy 28, verse 49. The Lord shall bring a nation against you from far, from the end of the earth, as swift as the eagle flies, a nation whose tongue you shall not understand. And you just have this sense now, again, what's going on where we, we, we were accepting all these terror, we're going to be accepting, and in fact, it's happening now, uh, accepting terrorists into the West. And now we have no intel into the plots and designs that, that, brought, that happened in Afghanistan to bring down uh, the Twin Towers. That kind of um, plotting and planning taking place in the mountains of Afghanistan, that's been blocked for 20 years. Now, expect more. Now we have no intel on this. And you can see the sense of people coming in with a foreign language. This is the Assyrian. 
This is the Assyrian coming in and taking over these Hebrews and speaking in a language that they have no clue what the Assyrian is saying. This is the curse of Torah. Now, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 14 actually quotes Isaiah. He says in the law, uh, actually um, writing Torah as well, in the law it is written, with men of other tongues and other lips will I speak unto this people. They didn't want to listen to God. In America, let's focus on America as the superpower, and the Western world really depends on this superpower and its unique foundation based upon freedom and the Judeo-Christian value system and the value of the human being. They have, had, they have themselves preached the word of God to the world. Most of the Bibles in the world were the missionaries from, from America. And now they've gotten to this point where they don't want to hear the Bible at all. And God is saying, okay, you, you don't want to hear the Bible? Fine. I'll have you listen to something else. And this is straight out of Torah. In the law it is written with the men with men of other tongues and other lips will I speak to this people. So if you don't want to listen to my ministers, I'll let you listen to oppressors who speak a completely different language, who are going to come with the upper hand, with, with authority, with a whip hand, and you'll have no idea what they're saying. That's how I'll speak to you. And, and you, you don't have to know what they're saying. You just have to suffer the hand of the whip to understand that now you know you've erred from the word of God. And yet for all that, will they not hear me, says the Lord. So, so there's this strange relationship that the covenant people have with the God of Israel, where they have been chosen to be the covenant people, but they're doing everything they can not to be. And, and eventually God is going to work this out again. All of this is prophesied in Torah. Verse 12, back to Isaiah 28. To whom he said, this is the rest wherewith you may cause the weary to rest. And this is the refreshing, yet they would not hear. So, so there is this promise of hope and glory and, and rest and salvation. They don't care. They don't want it. That's nonsense. And they'll, they'll, they'll have anything. How interesting every other possible ideology is, except the word of God. They would not hear. But the word of the Lord was unto them, precept upon precept. So this is exactly how it is. This is the way the word of the Lord is. That They, they heard it, but it was delivered to them in a way where it was precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, and there a little. So in other words, it's not straightforward and it's not for everybody. You, you have to be A, humble, and B, you have to be, you can't be lazy. You, you have to make an effort like, okay, what does this mean? Is, 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 is Christ just making this up or is this rooted in Torah? Is Christ repeating what the prophets have said? Or are, are the prophets making this up or is this rooted in Torah? Did, did Moses say this first? And, and we start putting the whole puzzle together. That takes humility. <clears throat> so I'm not God. Maybe there's a God that's higher than me that has higher authority than I do. Maybe I should humble myself before this God. And maybe there is revelation from this God. And, and maybe the Bible does make sense. And, and, and maybe I should humble myself and start reading it instead of believing these loony tunes that these insane drunkards are singing. And they want us to dance along with them. I'm sorry, we're not dancing to that insanity. And so 
here a little, there a little, but they don't want it. They're not going to make that effort. Oh, I tried reading the Bible. It's nonsense. That they might go and fall backward and be broken and snared and taken. That is the fate of Israel. Happened historically. It's going to happen again. And, and in fact, this is the curse of, of Israel, where he says to Isaiah, when he's actually, this is this, all of this actually about Israel, it, we're now going to see it turn to Judah. But he says in Isaiah 6 9, go and tell this people, hear you indeed, but understand not, and see you indeed, but perceive not. So, as that is the case with Judah, we see it was also the case with Ephraim. They had the word of God right in front of them, had no idea what it was saying. We have it here. America, I think, at one point anyway, had more Bibles than any other nation, and yet no idea what, what, what's in it. So all of that was pointed to Ephraim, but Isaiah is really a prophet for Judah. And so now, after all of this warning to Ephraim, he turns his attention to Judah. Wherefore, hear the word of the Lord, you scornful men, that rule this people, which is in Jerusalem. So again, we've got to have the same understanding that Jerusalem is the focal point of God and therefore the high prize of Satan. So the whole, we, as we try to understand what's happening in the world right now, what's happening with Afghanistan, we've got to constantly be asking ourselves, what does this mean for Jerusalem? Because that's the focus, not North America. Now the collapse of North America has huge implications for the Middle East and for Jerusalem in particular. But all of this evil that we've just seen in Ephraim, Isaiah turns to Judah, specifically the rulers in Jerusalem, and says, hear the word of the Lord. You just saw what, what is going to befall. The north, smarten up. You scornful men that rule this people, which are in Jerusalem. Because you have said, we have made a covenant with death. And with the grave are we at agreement. When the overflowing scourge shall pass through, it shall not come unto us. And it's, I can't help but when I read this, I picture the 60th birthday party of the elite, the elitist uh, Barack Obama, where, hey, you know what? There's this whole pandemic. Everybody's got to shut down, social distancing, wear a mask, get vaccinated. This is every panic, panic, panic. And yet, as the elite, you can have this great party, hundreds of people, nobody's distancing, nobody's wearing masks, uh, because, hey, it, it, we've made a covenant with death. That kind of that plague and the death, that, that, that death thing, it'll, it's, for the, it's for the little people. It won't affect us. It's that sort of attitude that the elite always have. And here the elite in Judah are saying, yeah, we're familiar with the curses. We, we heard you regarding Ephraim. And, and what the Assyrian is going to do to Ephraim. But we've made a covenant with death. And, and we're in agreement with the grave that when the Assyrian comes in to pass through and destroy, he's not going to come to us. For we've made lies our refuge, and under falsehood have we hid ourselves. And again, I just, all of this uh, medical tyranny and, and the, the falsehood, a lot, a lot of, some, there's some fact, but there's a lot of falsehood. And they believe that they're okay. But God is saying, no, you're not okay. Falsehood is never okay. And so here in Judah, there's this um, deception 
that the leaders are promulgating upon the, the little the, the, the little people, that they're oppressing their own people. <clears throat> Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation a stone. So this is where they are. These dece decept deceptive leaders are there in Jerusalem. And God is saying, look, I lay in Zion for a foundation a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. <clears throat> he that believes shall not make haste. Excuse me. So as all of this deception is taking place, and, and as the world around us begins to unravel, <clears throat> those of us who believe are not going to be quick to get swept up in illusions and deception. We're going to be patient, and we're going to wait for the Lord, and we're going to wait for his word to unfold exactly as he said, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times that which is not yet done, saying, my plans my counsel shall stand we we rest in the lord and we wait upon the lord and upon his word so we're not rushing in to go along with insanity judgment also will i lay to the line and righteousness to the plummet and the hail shall sweep away the refuge of lies and the waters shall overflow the hiding place amen and amen why do people think deception is a is a is a good investment? Why do you think deception can last forever? Lies are always found out, always, always, and so this deception will be swept away. And your covenant. This is interesting. Your covenant with death shall be disannulled, and your agreement with hell, with the grave, shall not stand. So you think you can escape all of this? and you're somehow immune to this destruction? No, God says, I'm gonna take that away. I'm gonna disannul your agreement with death. When the overflowing scourge shall pass through, then you shall be trodden down by it. So we can expect now tremendous destruction of Jerusalem and Judah in the time ahead. And again, we're seeing the collapse of America when America collapses, that completely changes and reconfigures the Middle East. And when the Middle East is reconfigured, Jerusalem in particular, but Judah in general, big trouble, big trouble. And all of this to happen before Christ returns. So it's all happening right on schedule. In fact, Christ said in Matthew 23, Behold, Jerusalem, your house is left unto you desolate. That's what we're watching unfold right before our eyes. There's a, there's a target, Jerusalem has a, has a target on her back. And that's what we're watching unfold. The, the, the pathological hatred, the murderous hatred that the surrounding nations have for Judah and Jerusalem, it's, it's now going to be unchecked. In fact, continuing the theme in Matthew 24, Christ says, if you're in Judea at this time, run for your life. And if you're pregnant, well, do what you can. Because with this pathological hatred, if they get a hold of you, they will show no mercy. It's, it's, a, it's a satanic level possession of hatred. That that's what Judah is going to face. Back to Isaiah 28, verse 19. From the time that it goes forth, it shall take you. For morning by morning shall it pass over. By day and by night, 
and it shall be a vexation or a terror. The Hebrew really implies terror. It shall be a terror only to understand the report. So, so just to hear what's coming will terrorize you. And, and this, in fact, in the seventh century, uh, when Muhammad launched this uh, political religion, uh, just the news that he was on his way would, would, would cause nations to just lie down and panic because the terror was so great. Well, this, this what's coming is going to be intense. And just the reports of what's coming. So, so let's say, for example, what the Taliban are doing now in Afghanistan to Americans, to Christians in the dark of night. When those reports come out and then we hear that the Taliban is coming to America, just just to hear that alone, that, that the administration is kind of rolling out the red carpet for them to come here, uh, just the report alone will cause people to, to just collapse in, 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 in terror. For the bed is shorter than a man can stretch himself on it, and the covering narrower, narrower than that he can wrap himself in it. In other words, whatever they have, it's not enough. So they think they can, they can lie down in comfort and they've got something set aside no it won't be enough it's gonna it's gonna fall short and, and in every way you'll 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 be discomforted for the lord shall rise up as in mount perizim he shall be wroth as in the valley of gibeon that he may do his work his strange work and so this is just constantly how we have to understand the prophets as they write, there's this pattern of this apostasy of his people that he then has to destroy and punish them for this apostasy, not to wipe them out as we read in Isaiah 25 to 27. It, it's the agenda that God has is not to wipe out his people, it's to drive them to repentance. That's what's happening and that's his strange work. And so as we see all of this uh, faithlessness and unfaithfulness, then we see the faithful Lord rise up as in Mount Perizim, and he will be angry as in the valley of Gibeon, that he may do his work, his strange work, and bring to pass his act, his strange act. Well, what is this act? What is this strange work? And uh, we did see it in Habakkuk as well, that he's going to do a work that, that you would not believe, he says to the prophet Habakkuk, even if it was told to you. And when it was told to him, Habakkuk didn't believe it. So what is this strange work? He says, he said earlier in Isaiah 10, in verse 5, O Assyrian, the rod of my anger, and the staff in their hand is my indignation. So, you know, these ISIS and Taliban, and we see um, the nation of Turkey rising up, the restored Ottoman Empire, the Al-Qaeda, the viciousness, the reports that you hear of their mercilessness, it's, it's, it's unspeakable the things they do. And God is saying that type of wrath that you see them having, that mercilessness, it actually belongs to me. It's an ex it, it, I'm working my will. I'm allowing my people to suffer this humiliation because it has a point, it has a purpose, and it has an outcome. So the Assyrian is the rod of his anger. He says of the Assyrian, I will send him against a hypocritical nation. And that's what both Ephraim and Judah, that's the best description we have of Ephraim and Judah, hypocritical nations. 
and against the people of my wrath will I give him a charge. So, so God is allowing this. You know, when, 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 when these ragtag, backward thugs suddenly inherit $85 billion of assets, of military assets, of the latest in military assets, this transfer of sophisticated military wealth just falls into their hands. How does that happen? Well, God says he's the one orchestrating this against the hypocritical nation and against the people of my wrath will I give him charge to take the spoil and to take the prey. So all the wealth that Ephraim and Judah have developed, God is developing a people to take all of it away from or away from us and to tread them down like the mire of the streets. By this, therefore, so this is uh, Isaiah 10, uh, verse 6. So that's the Assyrian, but it's his strange work, his strange act. Let's go back a chapter where we were the last time, Isaiah 27 and verse 9. He says, in all of this, by this, therefore, shall the iniquity of Jacob be purged. So this is the process that Jacob will look God forsaken. It's the time of Jacob's trouble. He's going to look like he's abandoned. In fact, in Matthew 24, speaking of Judah, Christ says, you know, when you see the abomination spoken of by Daniel the prophet, make sure if you read that, that prophecy, make sure you understand it. And he begins that whole passage by saying, don't be deceived. There's going to be a great deception that these people are going to say, yeah, those people are God forsaken. Christ is in the desert. Come to the desert. Christ says, no, don't be deceived. I will never turn my back on my covenant, my covenant people. I'll punish them and I'll perform a strange work to get them to the place where they can actually truly be righteous and there's no hypocrisy in them. But don't believe for a minute that I've abandoned Jerusalem or Israel for that matter. She says, by this, therefore, shall the iniquity of Jacob be purged. And this is all the fruit to take away his sin. When he makes all the stones of the altar as chalk stones that are beaten asunder, the groves and the images shall not stand up. So this idolatry, he'll abandon his idolatry. And all of this is exactly what Moses declared. In Deuteronomy 30, this is sort of our go-to fundamental understanding of prophecy, is in Deuteronomy 30 and verse 1, when Moses said to them, it shall come to pass, this is right on the heels of 28 and 29, you have to read all the, the blessings and the curses. When you read all of that, Moses says, okay, It'll come to pass when all these things have come upon you, the blessing and the curse, both, which I have set before you. And you shall call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you because you have you started off well, but then you ended up cursed. And now you're the, the curse. You cannot be in the land. You're going to be driven out of the land that then you shall repent, return unto the Lord your God, Jehovah and shall obey his voice according to all that I command you this day. So there's something happened that gets these people to finally embrace the Torah and obey it completely. You and your children with all your heart and all your soul. This is Holy Spirit language now that then the Lord, your God will, will end your captivity. That's when God will step in and end your captivity and have compassion upon you and will return and gather you from all the nations where the Lord your God has scattered you. That's the go-to 
prophetic outline. And all the other prophets are just amplifying what Moses taught here. Now, this uh, when he says here that um, the Lord will rise up as in Mount Perizim. Here, this is sort of a reference to David in 1 Chronicles 14 and verse 10, that David inquired of God saying, shall I go up against the Philistines? Yeah, these are these Middle Eastern enemies. We call, we call them Palestine today, Palestinians. And will you deliver them into my hand? And the Lord said unto him, go up, for I will deliver them into your hand. So this is his strange act, that first the, the Palestinians or the Philistines are beating upon Israel, and then God will deliver Israel. God will supernaturally intervene and give them power over an overwhelming force. So they came up to Baal Perazim. So this is the uh, Perazim. And David smote them there. And David said, God has broken in upon my enemies in my hand, by my hand, like the breaking forth of waters. Therefore, they called the name of that place Baal Perazim. So you can see how God intervened with David supernaturally to give him power over an overwhelming force. And that's what we're going to see in the future. And we're familiar with Zechariah 12, but in verse 2, we have to read the whole chapter, but in verse 2, Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling unto all the people round about. Who are the people round about? Who are the nations round about Jerusalem that have a, a pathological hatred for Jerusalem? Well, they're going to start having their way with Jerusalem and with Judah. And if you're in Judah at that time, you better run for your life. But then God is going to stand up for his people the way he supernaturally enabled David to overcome. And he says that when they shall be in the siege, both against Judah and against Jerusalem, if you read the rest of this chapter, you'll see that he's actually going to give the Jews the strength of David to overcome their enemies. Back to Isaiah 28. <clears throat> now, therefore, be you not mockers, lest your bands be made strong. For I have heard from the Lord God of hosts a destruction. So, so come on, people. Stop mocking. Stop taking God for granted. Take this seriously. Because I've heard of the Lord of God, the Lord God of hosts, a destruction, even determined upon the whole earth. And, and so, yes, there's going to be a destruction upon the whole earth, but it's going to be a sequence. Judah, Ju Jerusalem, Judah, Israel first. It's the time of Jacob's trouble. But then, according to Moses, Deuteronomy 30, when, when, when God steps in to help his people, the Lord your God will put all these curses upon your enemies and on them that hate you, which persecuted you. So that's the pattern. First, God uses the Gentile nations to punish his people when the people are finally driven to repentance that's when he'll step in and prevent them from being completely wiped out and completely perishing that's when he'll step in and then he'll give them supernatural power to destroy their enemies and so ultimately yes there is this destruction upon the whole earth but each in his own order back to isaiah 28 give you ear and hear my voice hearken hear my speech and I think, you know, we can take this in, in the church, the, the, the spiritual Judah of the covenant community. I, I think we see now how unstable the world is. This, this is not a time to be arrogant. 
This is not a time to be running to the, the Marxists and saying, yeah, I'm with you. I support you. This is a time for us to be clinging together. This is a time for us to be supporting Jesus Christ and having nothing to do with the, the drunkenness of the world because all of this is happening and it's happening very, very quickly. We need to be able to step back and, and look at the landscape. And yes, the focus is Jerusalem and we're watching Jerusalem and Judah, but it's the time of Jacob's trouble. And yes, the physical nations, the Western nations of Jacob, those are clear, those nations should be clear to us in this end time who, who have the Judeo-Christian ethic at their root. They're going to suffer tremendously. Swept up in all of this are the people of God, the, 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 the spiritual community, the, the, the spiritual Judah. We're in the midst of all of this as well. And if we're not established in God's word, I, I don't think we'll cope. I do not think we'll cope, especially in the Western We've just had it so good under this Pax Americana, the peace that America has brought to the Western world, as the policeman of the Western world, and kind of ensuring human rights. All of that's gone now. And now we're going to live in a Gentile world with the Chinese Communist Party's uh, value system and, and the, the Taliban's value system. These are the value systems we're going to live with now. And we helped bring this about. We were the social justice warriors who, who insisted that we must destroy Western civilization. We, we brought it down with our own hands. And I'm worried, I'm truly worried, that those who helped to destroy Western civilization by, by bringing in this, this, this whole uh, initiative, this administration's initiative to destroy and destroy our children with their ideology, those of us who have supported this, I think we've supported it because we want a better life now. And I think that approach of wanting a better life now is it's not sufficient to stand up to what's coming. You know, the, the, the bed is too short and the covering is too small. So, so when this overwhelming force comes, if we were trying to hold on to this life and make this life a better, better place, and, and now this destruction comes and there's nothing, everything is taken away. I just don't know if we have what it takes to see ourselves through this, to hold on to Christ through this. Whereas those of us who understand this world is evil, this world is passing away. Anything we have, we give God thanks. We thank him for his blessings while they're here, while we have them, but we're not holding on to this life. I, I think, you know, we're waiting on God. According to God's word, it's going to go much better for us. So we pray and we pray that if you have the ability to influence brethren, that we do what we can to get brethren to shake off the drunkenness and to hold on to God's word and to hear his voice. Today, when you hear his voice, harden not your heart, hearken and hear my speech. Then he says this, listen to me. Does the Actually, I'm just going to pop, I was reading this in the um, complete Jewish Bible. And it's just a little um, easier to understand. So let me just take this part of the passage and read it in the complete Jewish Bible. <clears throat> Does a farmer sowing keep plowing forever? Does he never stop breaking up and harrowing his land? 
this is really interesting. Like, listen, people, understand this strange act that God is involved in. Yes, he's going to destroy his people. We're seeing where we're, we're, we're in. That, that chapter has now opened. It's like you're reading a book and you get to this chapter and, and, and it's like there's horrific things that are going to happen in this chapter. Yeah, that's the chapter we're in. But we have to understand his act, his strange act. Does a farmer sowing keep plowing forever? Does he never stop breaking up and harrowing his land? No. When he finishes leveling it, he scatters his dill seed, sows his cumin, puts wheat in rows, barley where it belongs, and plants buckwheat around the edges. Because his God has taught him this, has given him instruction. Dill must not be threshed with a sledge or cartwheels driven over cumin. Rather, dill one beats with a stick and cumin with a flail. When crushing grain for bread, one doesn't thresh it forever. One drives the horse and cartwheels over it, but doesn't crush it to powder. This too comes from Yehovah Zavuot, the Lord of hosts. His counsel is wonderful, his wisdom great. So, so this is really, really interesting. What he's saying in all of this is, yes, destruction is coming. But listen to me. That's not the whole story. Yes, we're in the chapter of destruction. But the chap there's another chapter right after it. And it's the chapter of the glory of Israel and the glory of Jerusalem. And how all these Gentile nations are going to come to Jerusalem and acknowledge the Israel of God and the God of Israel. So this destruction chapter, a farmer, when he's breaking up his land, he doesn't just keep breaking up the land ad infinitum. He's breaking up the land with a purpose. And once he's broken up the land, now it's ready to receive seed. So there's a threshing, there's a whole, there's a farming process that he goes through and there are stages. And so Isaiah is trying to get them under, to understand this destruction is coming. It's a hypocritical nation. This destruction is coming. But it's not the end of the story. There's another chapter after this chapter. And that's what we must understand as well. So just given the time here, I'll just um, touch on the first part of chapter 29 and then God willing we'll come back next week and we'll finish it. So after all of this he says, woe to Ariel, to Ariel, the city where David dwelt. <laughs> this is where David dwelt. So we know this is Jerusalem. So Ariel is a, a pet name for Jerusalem, this place of, of uh, the true worship of God. But woe to her, she's cursed. Add you year to year, let them kill sacrifices. So they're going through this religiosity. Yet I will distress Ariel and there shall be heaviness and sorrow. And it shall be unto me as Ariel. So Ariel meaning some sort of altar or religious worship uh, that she's going to distress her. And this is, this is the real sacrifice. And I will camp against you round about and will lay siege against you with a mount. And I will raise forts against you. And that's what has happened anciently, but that's what we're watching now. $85 billion in assets, of military assets to the Taliban. 
how are they going to use that? Iran is developing nuclear capability. Pakistan developing nuclear capability, or has nuclear capability. The nation we call Israel, which the Bible calls Judah, the tribe of Judah, they're in big trouble, especially when America is just sidelined and taken out of the way. <clears throat> so he says, I'm going to surround you. And that's what, I, that's what Christ tells us to watch Jerusalem. When you shall see Jerusalem surrounded with armies, then know that the desolation thereof is near. So we'll, we'll stop there. And <clears throat> next week, God willing, we'll finish off uh, Isaiah 29. And there's a passage in there which is uh, terribly, terribly misinterpreted uh, by the Muslim world. And so because we're doing this line upon line and we're reading the passage in context, we will actually see just how misinformed and, and, and deceived they are to think that this passage applies to Muhammad when in fact it does not at all. And we'll understand that when we read it in context. So uh, the ancient scriptures, thousands of years old, but they are a revelation from God. And God has declared the end from the beginning. And so as we move into this, clearly this obvious final chapter in mankind's history without God, his rejection of God, and particularly the covenant community's rejection of God, uh, let's be faithful. Let's be true to the word of God. Let's study the word of God so that as these things happen, we're not surprised, we're not caught off guard. In fact, we're tracking and we're declaring this true gospel. So, brethren, thank you so much for coming back. Thanks so much for your attention. Uh, what a wonderful God we serve, a mighty God we serve, and, and what a faithful God we serve. And in his faithfulness, so these are some pretty tough prophecies, but they're all in his faithfulness. And, and the farmer doesn't break up the land forever. There, there, there's a harvest that's coming, and there's a process that he's going through. God bless you, brethren.